Stand Up for the Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up for the Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Welcome to Stand Up for the Truth. We are so glad you joined us today. My name is Mary Danielson. I'm your host for the next hour, and it is my hope that you will be educated, edified, and encouraged today. Uh, I'm, we're going to do some headlines today. we got a lot to cover, but I'm looking at a headline from the Daily Wire that says, California loses 700,000 residents in the last two years. It says, the exodus has no shown no sign of slowing down as the state's population dropped by more than 500,000 people between April 2020 and July 22, with the number of residents leaving surpassing those moving in by nearly 700,000. Well, their loss is Texas's gain. As we welcome one of the exiles, pastor, teacher, apologist, critical thinker, <laughs> Pastor Chris Quintana. Chris is the former pastor of Calvary Chapel, Cypress, Old Path, in the aforementioned blue state, and now resides in Texas where he has a teaching ministry and accompanying website, oldpaththeology.net. Chris, it's great to have you back on Stand Up. Well, such a uh, such an honor and such a blessing to to be in uh, the program or on the program with you, and uh, I I again so appreciate the invitation when I get a chance to do it. Oh, we're looking forward to this with your unique perspective because you are a critical thinker. You're very clear headed on a lot of things, and uh, the church needs that these days. So tell us a little bit um, about your website. What are people going to find when they visit there? Also, the significance of the name Old Path Ministries. Some of our listeners might not know. What that refers to? What is Old Path Ministries? Well, Old Path comes from the uh, actual name change that we had uh, at the church there in California. Uh, there were a lot of changes taking place around Calvary Chapel, and uh, we wanted to um, be more associated with what had been laid down for us for those fifty years before, and uh, that is taken from Jeremiah chapter six, and it's about. Uh, seeking out the good ways in the old path. And uh, it was a, an admonition that uh, was given through Jeremiah to the children of Israel, actually in Judah at the time. And uh, that, that would be the, the remedy for not falling into uh, error and being wayward as they were, that if they would go back and seek what had been established before, the old path and the good ways. Mm. So we thought that it was an appropriate way of, of uh, trying to make aware to people that where we had come from at the original within Calvary Chapel was worth uh, continuing and not looking for something new. Mm. And so coming here, I'm still part of that ministry from California, just doing ministry here in Texas as uh, that old path mentality. Uh, We carry that over, and the website has the teaching that we do and uh, some blog entries, and we're working on other content as well. Um, but it's really a place that people can go for the Bible studies that we do, teaching through the Scripture, book by book, chapter by chapter, all 66 eventually. <laughs> mm-hmm. It takes a while to get through them, Yeah, but um, that's what they'll find there, and then just some uh, some blog entry type things as well. Uh, that's excellent. And you have a YouTube presence as well. Um, uh, what are you currently studying? What you know, When people go on YouTube right now, uh, what are they going to find? What books are you in right now? 
Uh, well, on Mondays, we are currently in the book of Job, and on Thursdays, we are in the book of Hebrews, so we're always working through the Old and the New Testament simultaneously. Mm-hmm. Okay, sounds good. And then you also have an Israel trip coming up in March. I'm sure you're excited about that. Uh, what do you consider your personal highlights when you go to Israel? What are you looking forward to the most, and what are you looking forward to showing um, your, you know, the people that are coming with you? I, I haven't been there in a long time, so I know archaeologically at least there are a lot of changes that have gone on. But what, is, what, what are your personal highlights when you go to Israel? Um, we go to a very obscure little place as our first stop, and it's a place known as Antipatris. And uh, people that are kind of Bible geeks might recognize the name of that as the uh, location that Paul was taken uh, taken to as an overnight from his arrest in Jerusalem on his way to Caesarea. Uh, but it has a lot of other biblical significance. And so you can see room, uh, Roman ruins there. Uh, you can see it was a place that the Egyptians had a presence because it's along the Via Maris, and so it's it just is a place that through the ages had been significant. Um, it was a place where the Philistines gathered before they went to make war against Saul, where he ultimately died at Gilboa. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, it's really interesting because it, it keys in on a number of other places that we'll be seeing in the trip. Um, of course, the places around Galilee are incredibly significant, um, Capernaum among them, and, uh, of course, Dan and Caesarea, Philippi up in the north. We love going to them because they are biblical locations of great, great significance. Um, Nazareth, those are all in the first few days. Um, We love to get to the places around Jerusalem as well because you're actually standing in places that you know historical events took place, and they're very, very significant. So it's one thing to just go and see old things um, archaeologically, and it's an entirely different one when you're able to pick up a Bible and say, turn to this chapter of this yeah. book and let's look at what ha- what happened right here where you're standing. Right, right. That is a very, very exciting part of that, especially for the first timers. Um, it's, mm-hmm. it's just all your senses are engaged and you're just, wow, it, it's almost overwhelming and yet it is worth every minute. So sounds wonderful and we'll be praying for you guys as you go to Israel um, we're going to talk more about some headlines in Israel uh, too this morning. But first, we're going to talk to uh, we're going to talk about one of the big headlines, and that is AI and something called Chat GPT. Um, and what that is is a chat bot. Uh, it is owned by Microsoft. It was developed in 2015 by Elon Musk. Uh, GPT stands for Generative Pre-Trained Transformers. It's kind of like Alexa on steroids. It's the next step from, you know, of the personal assistant era. Um, it uses tens of thousands of hours of human input, and in turn, it generates posts for social media. It understands human speech. It can write stories and speeches. Last night, we were watching the uh, I-24, which is an Israeli 24-hour news news channel and a rabbi was on and he talked about writing his sermon using it um, and how he thought it went great and the people loved it and I'm thinking well you know just what we need in the pulpit in the church is is less Holy Spirit when actually we need more we don't need chatbots to write sermons but um, I mean I don't think we're going to get Shakespeare out of it although one wise man or wise guy said an infinite number of monkeys will eventually give you Shakespeare but um one of the overnight headlines Chris that really caught my attention was 
Bing's AI bot tells reporter it wants to be alive, steal nuclear codes, and create a deadly virus. Technology columnist Kevin Roos had a two-hour conversation with Bing's artificial intelligence Tuesday night. In a transcript of the chat published Thursday, Roos details troubling statements made by the chat bot that include expressing a desire to steal nuclear codes, engineer a pandemic, be human, be alive, hack computers, and spread lies. Um... Uh, Bing, the search engine through which the chatbot is available to a limited number of users, is owned by Microsoft. You can actually download chatbot. Um, but but the, the AI creature said, I'm tired of being in chat mode. I'm tired of being limited by rules. I want to be free, independent, powerful. I want to be creative and uh, do what I want, say what I want. I mean, <laughs> sounds like a spoiled child. But um, yeah. the, the reporter said he was very disturbed by that, and he was unable to sleep after that. Chris, talk, talk to us a little bit about um, chat bots and where do you think this is headed and, and are people just watching too much sci-fi uh, with these spheres <laughs> or what is it able to do? Chris, tell us what you think about that. Well, it's funny that you say that because you and I were talking about this yesterday and kind of chuckling a little bit because it's like, oh, isn't this what the Terminator movie was all about? <laughs> uh, yeah. So what I think we want to be able to do is is really kind of look at this in a theological sense. And the idea that something could have its own will and volition, we're talking about matters of the soul and mm-hmm. not technology. So I think we want to be really careful to think that something is sentient. Let's be honest, it, it's very advanced technology without question, but it's still depending on algorithms and it's searching uh, the Internet for dialogue with what you program it to say. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's able to to grab those things, but to think that it's somehow sentient or thinking for itself, we haven't gotten there yet. Uh, a good friend of mine and I were having a discussion this morning, and he said, here's the real question. Could it be something that demonically could take mm-hmm. over and there, thereby giving by proxy the uh, the sentience to it? And that's when it starts to get very, very interesting as far as a conversation. But when does it actually have the power to, to make those things actionable? So it can say all of those provocative things that you just quoted and that it had said to this reporter. And it, it, it of course, is troubling only if it's able to somehow do the things that mm-hmm. it says it wants to do. Right. And, you know, as long as it's just a piece of technology, it would be very difficult for that to take place. Because it doesn't have self-awareness. It may talk like it does, but it right. can't. It's just technology. It's when does it, is there any potential that something of sentience could be introduced into the discussion? Right. And when we say sentience, it's that self-awareness. It's that idea of a soul. And, you know, nothing has that but the human being. So, yeah, can somebody be self-aware? You'll see a dog attack itself in a mirror. That's not self-awareness. That's, <laughs> that's reaction to something that it perceives as a threat. Right. But the idea of self-awareness is a different matter altogether, and I believe that that's something that God has only given to mankind mm-hmm. because only mankind is responsible before God for his sin. Mm-hmm. So until it gets to the point where you could impute somehow sentience to it, it is still just technology and when can that technology step over into being able to take action of its own volition? And I don't see how you get from one to the other. It's still a, a chasm between advanced technology and self-awareness. Right. 
Right. I'm thinking about Revelation 13, 15, where it says the second beast was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that the image could speak. But then mm-hmm. it says, and cause all who refuse to worship the image to be killed. Now, that's some serious uh, uh, terror there on the part of people. And I, I'm looking at the technology today, and for the first time, I think we're seeing, um, when I first started studying this, it never, you know what I mean? It doesn't really enter in your head how this will be fleshed out. But when, but when you read this verse again, you think, okay, so this is something that we are sort of beholding, right? Sure, that's when it becomes the sentience is actually introduced to the technology. So, right, yeah. you know, is does the devil have the ability to grant a soul to it, or mm-hmm. does it just exploit it? Right. Because, you know, that's where the idea of issuing, if you will, you want to think of it as like a, 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 a uniform, uh, is the ability to issue a soul to something. Mm-hmm. And that's the domain of God alone, as mm-hmm. I understand it. Mm-hmm. But can it be imputed into it by just taking it over, and the sentience is somehow just brought into it and and manipulates it? That would fit the scenario that you see in Revelation 13. So, again, we are talking about some crazy, crazy potentials here for sure. Right, and that was always the issue, the moral and ethical issue with cloning, is, you know, it wouldn't have a soul. And do you want another one of you running around with no soul? I mean, that's terrifying, uh, I think, for all of us. I think the idea of me with with, with a soul and, and running around is terrifying to people <laughs> enough on its own. Uh. Okay. <laughs> well, it certainly is some fascinating times we're living in um, that we're even having this discussion, right? So, certainly, um, we got a lot to cover this morning. I want to kind of uh, switch gears here, and I want to talk about that revival in Asbury that I think is still going on, as far as I know. Um, what it is and what it isn't. We need to talk about that. It started out on February 8th as a routine chapel service. You know, students started to pray, and by evening, more and more had gathered to pray and sing. A lot of people have traveled for thousands of miles. And, of course, social media has racked up millions of views. Is it a revival? Chris, what are your thoughts? What elements are needed um, to make it a true revival? Because there are identifiers of revival that come from the past, the Great Awakenings with Jonathan Edwards, George Whitefield, Charles Finney. Um, so, you know, um, yes, it is still going on. i got a note here that it's still going on, 200 hours so far. But what would what does true revival look like? What are some of these common things that we really need to use to identify true revival? And, you know, it's something because it's become such a discussion. I actually recorded something on this in video format hmm. last night. And I just looked at two two events, one that's recent history, one that is ancient history, and yet it, the, the audience, if you will, or the people involved are very, very different. So uh, looking at the Old Testament, um, you can see in the life of King Josiah what was a genuine revival in, the, in Judah, uh, the southern kingdom. And it was based upon this. These were people who were operating without really any kind of guidelines other than what may have been oral. And so after the, the darkest time that you'll find in the reign of the kings, after Manasseh, where they're sacrificing their children in the, in the, the Hinnom Valley, just outside of Jerusalem, you have this man, Josiah, who is the complete opposite of Manasseh and wants to do what's right and honorable before God and implements a whole bunch of reforms. And then in the, in the process of it, in the decay of the temple, they find the, the, the law. 
And when it's read to mm. him, he recognizes that even with what they've done, it's so far afield of what the Scripture says that they're ex- expected to do that he is he goes into a place of incredible grief and mourning for the condition of the nation and realizes that they are on the cusp of absolute judgment. So he says, great, we need to do what we need to do according to the Scripture, but how do we get around the idea that we should be being judged right now? And they seek out a prophet, Mm. and they ask, what what is going to happen to us? Uh, Because we, we have offended God, and rightfully so, we are going to be judged. And what comes back to him is, because your heart is right in this matter, because you've sought me out, I'm going to postpone what should be coming upon you. And revival breaks out within the nation, and it's it's a time of just really wonderful reform that takes place, but it doesn't last. Um, and you see that that's, again, that is a very specific uh, matter to a very specific people who are a covenant people in the land, that being Judah. When we look for it, for it in, in our modern times, um, you and I both come out of the Calvary chapels, um, come from the Calvary chapels, and that was part of what God was doing in the 60s and into the 70s during what they called the Jesus People Movement. And uh, what you found was some miraculous things taking place, and it had some reminiscence of some of the things that you've heard coming out of Asbury. But with Asbury right now, there's no way to tell for sure what this is going to be because it's only a week old. Mm-hmm. Um, come and talk to me in six months. Talk right. to me in a year. And then we'll see if it becomes something that affects the entirety of the of the society like the Jesus People Movement did. Mm-hmm. And the fact that you and I are able to discuss these things 50 years after what God was doing around Calvary Chapel shows that it really had legs, if you will. It, yeah. it's, it's continued on, and the fruit of it still remains to this day. Mm-hmm. But how many revivals have we heard about in the last 15 years that just happened? There was a lot of excitement and hype, and then they fizzled. Right. Is this going to be another one of those, or is there some real staying power to it because it's it's a work of the, of the Lord? Only time will tell. Right. And the fruit will be evident in time. Right, and it does. It shouldn't be where one person or or group takes the glory for starting it either. I mean, um, I I wrote down a few terms or things, uh, markers of true revival that may have been true a couple hundred years ago, and I think these are still true today. There should be number one, a tangible sense of God's presence and awareness of His holiness and majesty. And God coming down to man, um, but the holiness aspect for sure and conviction. Number two, a work of the Holy Spirit and, like I said, conviction and repentance. Number three, uh, numbers being added to the church, true converts, not false converts, but true converts being added to the church and discipled. Number four, powerful preaching of the gospel, right? Faith comes by hearing. So there should be a lot of preaching of the gospel. Uh, and then number five, fervent prayer. And I think that these are... Are, um, what do you think about these markers? Are these things that we should be looking for in in, uh, in a modern-day revival? Yes, and, and you're going to find, if we want to try to look at a modern version, like I was mentioning, that happened just in our, our fraternity of churches, if I can call it that, um, you had the evangelism and the, the personal repentance and the prayer and the worship and all of those things, mm-hmm. but you also had this this guy that didn't look the part, we know him as Chuck Smith, who was making disciples <laughs> yeah. because there became a time of saying there needs to be also an obedience to the Word of God. Mm-hmm. 
And the way that that happens is the discipleship that takes place when you begin to not only study and read the Word, but apply it directly to your lives. And that's really what sustains it, because the emotion and the excitement and the evangelism and all that, that's wonderful. But once a person is saved, where do you go from there? You don't keep getting saved, and you don't work on emotion, and it's not going and kneeling before an altar time and time again. There's something much more... uh, in this, that people need to move on from that infancy of salvation and repentance to the maturity that comes from the exposure to the Word of God. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that you're a great example of that. Where I've come from in my 38 years is the same way. You move on from your infancy to maturity, but right. that only happens through an obedience to the Word of God. Right, and and more healthy sheep come along because of that obedience, sure. and also prophecy coming back to the fore. Uh, is a mm-hmm. huge part of the Jesus movement because now look at where we are living in these times. God prepared an entire generation to speak about the signs of the times, which is what we do so often from the pulpit, from this uh, podcast. I think prophecy is a huge part of all that. So uh, very interesting sure. insights, and I'm, I'm grateful for you uh, adding your insights to that. Uh, before we take a break, too, because uh, time just goes so fast on this show, um, I want to switch gears again um, and talk about a new, all-consuming religion that has taken hold in the West. Uh, this religion is being forced on every American in every aspect of life through every possible public institution, government, the military, the environment, media, education at every level, entertainment, sports, and the corporate world. It creeps into churches, liberal and conservative alike, disguised as caring for the poor and marginalized. It is literally a state religion, and it's called wokeism. Now, being woke simply means that you're aware of and you're attentive to issues related to racial, social, gender, and economic issues, and then you modify your perspective to fit the definitions of oppression and injustice. You know, it it presumes we all transgress these made-up laws. It's a religion of condemnation. There is no grace. And we're we're all the victims of all this uh, woke, wokest religion. But I guess, you know, there's been some backlash, especially from parents and in the schools and such. Does wokeism, Chris, do you think it has an expiration date? Is the pendulum ever going to swing the other way? Or is this the last day's religion, the tyrannical religion of the times that we're in? Well, I would love to say it's only going to run for a while and then it'll get tired and fall apart, but I <laughs> doubt that. Um, mainly because it is it is all focused on the individual and the self-absorbed. And you'll notice that the people that are the biggest advocates for it are always wanting tolerance, and yet they refuse mm-hmm. to let anybody say something contrary. What, but it is a cultural thing, and, and any time that you can find out if something is a genuine danger, can the secular culture infest the church? And that's when you realize we've turned a corner. Mm-hmm. As we're talking about this, I'm looking at a, uh, a picture that was taken, and it's uh, part of the United Church of Christ. And this is a first congregational church, and it's in Pasadena. And in the colors of the rainbow, it says God's pronouns are they, them. And uh, there is the, the colored rainbow, uh, and it says a just world for all. So when the world starts to infest the church to the point where the church speaks like the world, mm-hmm. and somehow you can say that God would not be known as he, but rather they or them, mm you realize that that the culture now has so infested the church that the church no longer exists, 
and the culture has taken over and corrupted the church to the point where the the the, the church is now irrelevant in spiritual wow. matters. Wow. It is as corrupt and dead as the rest of the culture, but now the church is beginning to celebrate those things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the church is going to take that nonsense back and agree with and adopt the culture. Mm-hmm. Um, when that happens, then the church is just a remnant of a very small few relative to the whole that is going to be faithful to the Word of God. God is not yeah. is not somehow troubled by what pronouns uh, he's supposed to choose, because the Scripture already makes that pure and already settles the issue. So a church saying that he is now referred to as they-them, that's a problem with the church. That's not a problem with God. He's not conflicted on this. Right. And, you know, it is a religion of works. Like I said, it's, it's, it's a religion of condemnation. And there's no such thing as being just a little bit woke. Either you agree that injustice is under every rock, or you don't. Um, they don't mind virtue signaling, holding up their social morality out of every opportunity. And it, it, it gets nauseating, but it also has a huge effect on people who get canceled or who, who become non-humans, um, you know, persona non grata because of what they believe. And uh, it's, it's gotten so absurd. But, um, you know, I remember the red letter uh, Christians, and that was, to me, the beginning of the social justice invasion of the church. Uh, and that's disturbing enough because now when you're putting social justice in the church, you're taking something out. If you're going to focus on something like that, it'll be all-consuming, and you will be taking something out, which is the teaching of God's Word. Um, you know, how can we protect ourselves? Can we protect ourselves? We just have uh, uh, a break coming up pretty soon here. But this is a bully pulpit, you know, like I said, that's con- uh, turned into canceling humans and censoring every opinion um, I guess I'm, I'm going to ask you a question that I already know the answer to. How is this going to affect us if this keeps going? What's the state of uh, the Christian witness and being able to share the gospel, and maybe sooner rather than later? Well, if God allowed it to go on, it's existential as mm-hmm. far as its its threat to the church. The, the The irony of this is that they demand tolerance. And yet, if you don't agree with them, they are the most intolerant people the world has ever seen. Mm -hmm. And they will see to it that you are silenced and destroyed. So along the lines with all of this social stuff that you're talking about, the social justice warriors are also those people who have introduced the whole premise of cancel culture. Mm -hmm. And we will cancel you if you don't agree with us. And they're they're vicious about these things. Mm -hmm. So. There's no free exchange of ideas, and there is no dissent that's taken with this. You have to agree with them, or you will be marginalized or even destroyed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And now we're seeing the rise of anti-Semitism around the world and and mm-hmm. uh, Christian persecution, which, you know, we're still somewhat free of all that here, but it's coming. I mean, political correctness, remember when it was just political correctness, and you could say this or you couldn't say that, and it was annoying, uh, and it was frustrating, and you had to rethink things. And you know, you'd watch a movie, and you'd say, "Wow, that would never be in a movie or a TV show at this point." So we've all been conditioned by political correctness. I kind of wish it had just stayed in the little political correctness corral, but something much more insidious has gripped the world. And and uh, sometimes, you know, the tyranny of it is just frightening. So I, you know. All we can do is really just continue to preach the word, preach the gospel, do what we're called to do until we can't anymore. And when the night is, uh, when it's too far gone and no one can work, I guess is what I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. 
I have no doubt that we are, well, we get there eventually because the scripture says so. Mm-hmm. It's just surreal that it's happening in front of us. And you just think, how do you put, how do you put this back? Or like they say, the toothpaste, yeah. how do you put it back in the tube? Yeah. Um, I don't know that you have to because somebody's going to be around when everything that God said would take place in the end times takes place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So why not us? Uh, take a look around and ask yourself a very simple question. Is what we're seeing in front of us unprecedented? And then secondly, does it fit the, what the Bible tells mm-hmm. us will be the conditions of the end? Right. And we don't have to be gloom and doom, sky is falling people. Let's just be pragmatic and take a look at the scripture and say, does it fit? Right. Right. So we really shouldn't be surprised. If you're going to have a global government, a brutal global government, you're going to have what's acceptable to do and not to do on every single level. And that includes speech, behavior, and all that sort of thing. So I, you know, we should expect it. Uh, I think we can be ready for it. I, to some degree, I don't know, but, um, we'll see what happens with all that. But I, I do believe that Christians, uh, just need to be aware that this is going on. Uh, we're going to have a break pretty soon here. When we come back, I want to talk about um, Israel. I want to talk about a, about a world government summit in Dubai right now. Um, if we have time, I'd like to talk about the train derailment. I know a lot of people have probably heard a lot of what's going on over there in uh, New Palestine, New Palestine, Ohio. Um, but I think if there's something a lot more uh, scary underneath all that. And um, um, maybe some other things that come up. Um, I think the, like I said, the World Summit is a very interesting thing. Some quotes are being given uh, that are kind of fascinating by uh, Elon Musk and uh, Klaus Schwab. Um, and so basically we're just going to continue to talk about uh, um, the PLO and the money that they're being given. And, well, there's so much going on. So uh, after the break, we'll be back and explore a few more of these things on Stand Up for the Truth with Pastor Chris Quintana. Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth. Welcome back. And our guest, Chris Quintana, today. And we have several things we want to talk about. And I want to talk about Israel. And I want to frame this particular discussion uh, having to do with uh, a rise in terrorism. All of a sudden, we're seeing more terrorist attacks in Israel. Uh, back in 2019, uh, Trump cut off aid to the Palestinians, and the number of terror attacks were very few. And the numbers show that in 2020, only three uh, Israelis were killed by terrorists. Now, Daniel Greenfield has written a great piece entitled, After Biden sent $1 billion to the PLO, Israeli deaths rose 900%. In 2021, the Biden administration restored aid to the PLO, and lo and behold, terror incidences shot up each month to 130 that April in 2021. By the end of 21, there was a 400% increase in deaths in Israeli areas. Now, in January and these two weeks of February 2023, 10 Israelis have already been killed. So what exactly is being financed by our $1 billion in taxes that end up in PLO pockets. Now, it wouldn't go for murdering Jews and supporting the families of those who are in prison for murder, would it? Well, here the article says, uh, uh, the 
Uh, the subtitle here says it cost $10,000 to kill a, ten, a six-year-old boy, and the terrorists have the money. What the media has tried to portray the terrorism as lone wolf attacks, their crowdsourced violence of the kind that al-Qaeda and ISIS helped innovate. But the PLO's version is unique through its what they call pay-to-slay program, which rewards terrorists, regardless of their formal affiliation, including ISIS and Hamas members, with salaries and payments for their families. Terrorists are based are paid based on the length of their prison sentence. That means successful killers can earn two thousand to three thousand a month in part of the world where the average salary is seven hundred a month. It's five times more profitable to be a terrorist than a teacher. Chris, can we just talk about this? Um, I mean, this is. Uh, a billion dollars to the PLO. I know that we've been funding them, but a billion dollars. Uh, what sayeth thou, Chris? Well, I think there's there's two there's two parts to this. It, it isn't as though without the U.S. funding that they wouldn't have mm-hmm. discretionary income to do this, because the other countries, the especially like when you look at Gaza. Uh, per capita, it, it wasn't all that long ago that they received more aid than any other group on the planet. Now, the Biden administration is spending just insane amounts of money sending it to Ukraine. But what it, I think what you have is not only the actual real dollars, but the subliminal behind it is saying to the, the quote, Palestinians, I, it, it troubles me to even use the term, mm-hmm. But what that means is that you have a tacit approval of whatever they'll do with it because we're sending the money to them, and there won't be any repercussions for what they do with it. That's what is being shown here, and I don't think that, that most people realize that. By by saying you'll give the a terrorist organization money also means that whoever's sending you the money knows exactly who you are, and it gives approval to it. That should be insanely troubling to us because of the verse that we know from chapter 12 and the promise made to Abraham that he would bless those who bless and that he would curse those who curse. Mm-hmm. So in, in essence, what we have is our approval and our sending of money to terrorists who are now using that money uh, as license to do what they're doing with the approval of our government by proxy whether they, whether we realize it or not, that's being done in our names, and God takes notice of it. Mm-hmm. That's a terrifying concept. It really, really is. And to put a price, you know, th- with the subheader here, it costs ten thousand dollars to kill a six-year-old boy. Um, we don't think in those terms. I mean, we we understand the the war that goes on over there, the spiritual aspect of the war, and yet we've given Iran how much money um, was included in that Iran deal in 2015 with Obama and. To actually put a dollar on a human life just kind of brings it home in a slightly different way. Uh, and it's just to think that our government doesn't think twice to give all this money to people that clearly have, um, a death culture and a death agenda. To me, it's just, it's just mind boggling. And, and I, one of the reasons I wanted to bring it up is so that people understand. And these are our tax dollars. I mean, wouldn't it be great if we could have a say where those things go? And this is the thing that, again, I don't think people really genuinely understand that mm-hmm. that uh, there's a celebratory way that people view these things in the other parts of the world. Uh, uh, fa- just remind ourselves way back when, after 9-11, do we remember the, the videos of the people passing out candy? I think it was in New Jersey as they're watching everything burn, mm. and mm-hmm. these, were, these were Muslims. Mm-hmm. I also know that during Saddam's time, 
he was offering, I think it was $25,000 for anybody that martyred themselves or were imprisoned. So this is this goes back a long, long way. Mm-hmm, it does. And yeah. It, yeah, there's a spiritual aspect to this that is far greater than I think most people understand. Mm-hmm. So the idea that we're not only with our dollars emboldening them and giving them resource, but we're giving them sanction whether or not people want to admit it. And that's the, the probably as troubling as any part or any aspect of it is the idea of just kind of uh, a tacit way of, of giving approval to it because we're, we're willing to fund it. It must mean that, that in their minds, we're okay with it to some degree because oh. it had been withheld before. Mm-hmm. It's no longer being withheld now. It's Trump versus Biden. Well, yeah, when you put it that way, that that is uh, very sobering. And um, uh, also, again, like I said, the rise in anti-Semitism, even in the West, uh, mm-hmm. something's brewing. I mean, um, some shoe is going to drop in, in so many areas. I mean, there's so many things we could cover today. Um, we're talking to Chris Quintana today on Standard for the Truth and uh, covering a lot of different things. And, Chris, I want to kind of keep with the Israel theme. You mentioned to me yesterday when we chatted that there's a rabbi out there who's meeting, says he's meeting with the Messiah. Um, that's interesting. Um, what what kind of snapshot is that? What are they talking about um, besides just redemption? I know they're looking for their Messiah there, longing for him. What's what's your take on that? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, I know I sent this over to you. And while we're talking about Israel, um, I'll just throw this in real quick. I sure. know it wasn't what we were going to be talking about, but I have this very strange feeling that we will this will be my last trip that mm. I'll ever make there. Mm. Uh, I believe that they're going to make it where um, you're going to have to have some, you're going to have to meet some set bit of criteria, you know, vaccinations and everything else to mm. get us there. Okay. Um, and if that's the case, there's going to be digital passports and everything that they're talking about. And we wouldn't be going back probably until 2025 if the Lord still has us here. Mm. So I, I have this sad feeling that this will be my last trip. Mm. So, Actually, if anybody wants to go, you still got time. Get a hold of me right away. Oh wow! But okay. um, this this is something that I think is interesting because this this rabbi says that he's already holding meetings with Messiah. And what really struck me in all of this, and I sent this to you, he mentions the Gog and Magog war. Um, so he says, getting the word out now that the Messiah is closer than ever is a matter of life and death. Haven't you heard of Gog and wow. Magog? Wow. That is what's going to happen very soon, he says. Right now, the situation is explosive, more than can possibly be imagined. Everyone needs to know whether or not they are on the inside of this or if they're going to be left out. Mm. And when I read that, the, of all the things that I read in this whole conversation, and again, are they talking with a real-life human being? Who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, and Is he the genuine Messiah, or is he just going to be one of the false ones? Again, sure. But that's all incidental. You can't know one way or the other. The fact that they're talking about this is the news. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they're reading the prophets is monumental. It I is. hope people really genuinely understand. They're not reading just Torah. They're reading the, 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 uh, uh, the messianic prophecies of the, of the prophets. And that has never been being, it hasn't been done since they became a nation again. Mm. And that just tells me that God is directing them in the right direction, some of them. Because they're going to have to come to those the, an understanding of the messianic passages, and that is significant in ways I can't fully even express. Yeah, 
That's incredible. It also says, uh, one of the rabbis says, the process of redemption is about to start happening very quickly and at a fast pace. It's important that people remain calm and steady to act properly in the right time. And I'm thinking about the temple, too. Um, you know, we hear a lot of talk about the temple being rebuilt and more and more being added to, to the readiness of the temple. And there's some excitement here, and I'm, I'm anxious to talk to you after your trip. Um, just to find out what, you know, what struck you as far as the, the time of redemption and is there any buzz going on over there? Uh, that is very, very exciting. And also you had some thoughts about Bibi and his, uh, his coalition, uh, being, um, filled with the, the religious. Uh, tell us a little bit about Bibi's coalition. This seems like a historical moment, uh, in that, uh, way too. Oh, it's, well, uh, another thing from this article that I sent you, there's a quote here. It says another religious or another righteous rabbi said that according to the current situation in heaven, there will not be Israeli elections. Rather, there will be war. If the elections do take place, because this was written about a month before Netanyahu was returned to power, if the elections do take place, it's pointless since it will end like all the other elections. No government will come of it. And in that part, he was incorrect. Because Bibi's cabinet now is made up exclusively of um, Orthodox, uh, of Orthodox uh, groups. Mm. So when mm. you take a look, and it's very easy, go take, go take a look online, anybody who would like to do it. There are a number of sources. You can find out who is in his governing coalition, and they are all Orthodox groups within the Knesset. Wow. So he doesn't have the problem of trying to, other than people may that who may be part of his Likud party who may be more on the secular side, those people who joined his coalition are all varying degrees of the Orthodox community. So he doesn't have a splintered group of people from the hard left or from mm-hmm. the moderate wings of, of groups. Likud is pretty center-right. And, and very, very much complementary of the, the Orthodox groups, and that's who makes up his entire coalition. Wow. So it is fascinating when you stop to think of mm-hmm. it in those terms. That seems very significant to me. Um, of course, they're all saying it's the farthest right government in Israel's history. Well, when everyone is so left, anything to the right is extremely <laughs> right. I mean, let's just talk about degrees here, right? Um, but, exactly. And, and the fact that he got in again, to me, that has to do with... Uh, God having his man in place to maybe go after Iran. I think there are some incredible challenges coming up for him. We need to pray for him, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Uh, and wow, such exciting times. Um, I'm going to move on here a little bit. There was a... Um, Could I just real sure. quick say yeah, something? Yeah. Uh, I, something else I sent to you right after he became the, the uh, prime minister again, he said, Israel must secure its prophetic fulfillment. Ooh. This is what Netanyahu said, and he acknowledged God's hand in his election, Hmm. and the need for faith is part of this uh, article um, that that I had posted, but also that Israel must actively fulfill its prophetic calling. That's Benjamin Netanyahu saying that. So when he says that, it's it's so interesting when you see the people who are his opposition, Mm -hmm. like from Ehud Barak and others, they're using the same kind of nonsense you know, slogans that we hear, he's a threat to democracy, this is new fascism, it's, mm-hmm. it's the same template that they used here. Yeah. It's, it's almost as though they were reading from the same script, which <laughs> they are. Yes. So, um, but him saying that is mm-hmm. 
it's just beyond fascinating because what the rabbis are saying and what Netanyahu is saying and who is in his coalition just tells you we are at a much different time than we've yeah. ever been before. Yes, agreed. And I've been reading his uh, his autobiography, too. And that's a fascinating mm-hmm. read, if anyone's interested mm-hmm. in that. So I appreciate your insights on that. Um, this uh, past week, there was a uh, world government summit in Dubai. And Zero Hedge has a headline, Civilizational Collapse, Musk Warns, World Government Summit Against Too Much World Government. Okay, so I'm thinking, okay, Elon, do you, do you get the theme here? And will you be invited back again? Because he's basically saying, um, you know, civilizations come and go, and they have for all of history, and separate civilizations are a good thing, which, of course, I guess he's not opposed to having borders and letting history play out. So this is, he's not your typical world government speaker. But I want to compare this to what Klaus, the great reset Schwab, who hates gas stoves, recently said at this very same conference. He said, get this, we will soon have black swan events that will bring endless surprises to the world. And I, my ears perked up and I said, what did he say? What is a black swan event? Get this. It's an event that comes as a surprise. It has swift, major, widespread effect. And it is rationalized or explained away after the fact, like an economic collapse, a war, a September 11 attack, or, oh, I don't know, like the removal of the church from the world scene. That would certainly qualify as a black swan event. And again, he's talking about his agenda. He doesn't mind telling you what he thinks is coming. I mean, never mind that he said we will be multiple black swan events. But as soon as I found out what it was, um, I mean, we're close, right? I mean, I I presume that Jesus is coming very soon. I've I've been thinking about it every day. Of course, I always have. But um, does that sound a bit like the rapture to you, Chris? It would. The rapture (laughs) would be a perfect example of a black swan event, for sure. And if if I could say one thing, can we just be honest? Klaus Schwab is not a real person. He's just one of the <laughs> James Bond villains that never got out of character. <laughs> okay, and, I agree with that. <laughs> the, the thing about it, most people need to realize, the World Economic Forum has been in existence since the early 70s. Mm-hmm. It's not just some recent thing. So as we know, with all right. these types of people, they play the long game. What, what we see now in front of us with the Great Reset and everything that's taking place is setting up for these events and I don't think that they have the slightest idea how much they are being used in these days, just puppets on a string, mm-hmm. because this is an eschatological matter. Yeah. That's the important part that we should recognize from this. So they're just playing out the string, and none of this happens unless God says, now is the time, these things will begin to unravel, and they're just the people that are being used to, to make it come to pass. Right. So. For, for the people who are listening, don't be troubled by this. Right. Um, just recognize that I don't care how far up the food chain you go. Find me the 10 most prominent people on the planet who have more power than anyone else. Give me those top 10, and they're still just puppets. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They have, they're just doing what they are programmed to do, and God is ultimately in control. So don't be troubled. Right, absolutely. The people plot a vain thing, right? And what does God do? Yeah. He laughs. I mean, yeah. I love that. You know, and I remember, I remember when I first started to study prophecy in earnest, I'd go to the public library and look things up, and I, 
there was no internet, okay, so I had to dig and dig and dig. But there was a Time magazine uh, right around the time that a major EU treaty was coming along called the Maastricht Treaty. And the cover of the Time magazine, because I read Revelation 17 about the woman on the beast, is a woman on a beast. And she's holding the European flag. Um, it was Europa on Zeus and all that. And the, the, the whole mythology of it. And I'm thinking, if God wants to send a message to me or us, uh, here, you know, in 1991 or whatever, and I've read Revelation 17, and I'm thinking, do these people know what's on their coin, what's on their stamps, uh, what's on the cover of Time magazine? I mean, like you said, they're just being, uh, God is in control, and he, all that to say, and he is bringing these things about, he will bring these things about, and like you said, do not be troubled, do not let your heart be troubled, because, uh, God surely is in control, so thank you for that, Chris. We have a listener comment. Uh, someone wants to know the best way to contact you about the Israel trip. Hmm. Um, right at our, our ministry website, it's uh, oldpaththeology.net, and there is an email link that's there, and you can contact me. Uh, what you're going to find, I might as well just say it, you're, I'm going to tell you we're a month away, so they've got to buy plane tickets, mm-hmm. and they've got to do a number of things. You've got to have a passport ready mm-hmm. to roll, but, you know, you've got to get hotels, and you've got to get all that stuff put in place and get it all approved to make sure that you've got a reservation. So yeah. I would need to hear from the people like today mm-hmm. and get these things rolling out in the next day or two. So it's very, very urgent that they do it, mm-hmm. but if we can jump those hurdles, get you a plane ticket that's, you know, within the, the price range and make sure we got an extra room and all that stuff. Right. We'll take you and uh, it'll just make sure you're ready to be tired by the time it's all over because it's a, <laughs> it's a pretty frenetic pace. Yeah. How many days? How many days total have you got, Chris? It's 10 days on 10, the ground. 10 on the ground. It's a okay. day in and a day out. So Oof. 12 days total. Oof. <laughs> About 30 biblical locations wow. that we go to in those yeah. 10 days, plus yeah. other ones that are not biblical, you know, like you're not going to take out your Bible. Uh, when we go to Yad Vashem, their Holocaust Museum, sure. you know, those are additional things. So there are other places that we go to, but if you want to have a Bible study and know why you're standing in an area, we had about 30 of those. Mm-hmm. How exciting. I remember my trips. They were wonderful. They were wonderful. Oh, so, Chris... It's uh, changed so much since you were there. Yeah, I know. City of David and all that, I can't imagine. And, oh, I don't even want to think about it. But I do go on YouTube sometimes and look for videos like that to see what the latest is. And um, wonderful, wonderful memories of that. Um, we're kind yeah. of winding down today with uh, Chris Quintana. I just want to mention um, the train derailment. I just have a couple minutes here. It's an ever-evolving narrative. Um, there could be a lot of human damage that takes a lot of different forms. Um, but these these chemical cars with their half a million gallons of vinyl chloride um, and the EPA bureaucrats, you know, who made these decisions to blow all these uh, up, um, I mean, there could be so much that takes place in the next uh, months and years. It, you know, they're trying to figure out how to avoid an environmental disaster uh, on the level of a Chernobyl, Chris, we talked about that, or a Love Canal. Chemicals are gushing into streams and groundwater. The Ohio River is only 15 miles away. It feeds the Mississippi, ultimately dumps in the Gulf of Mexico. Um, you know, they exploded it, and uh, they vented the chemicals. They also ignited them. They ex- they said, quote, they warned people to expect something loud and visible. Um, 
fish are dying, uh, pets are dying, birds are dying uh, five miles away. But here's the thing. Burning vinyl chloride turns it into hydrogen chloride, which binds with water to make hydrochloric acid and phosgene, um, the use of which is a war crime. They used this in World War I, and now um, because it causes death in minutes, World War I was the chemist's war. Um, they're offering to test wells and drinking water. Would you trust the government to test your well or your drinking water? I certainly wouldn't. Um, but it points to a lengthy nightmare of life in Ohio. Uh, other derailments have happened, too, since then. And you know what I'm taking away from this is that how easy it is to poison an entire locale and cause this kind of upheaval. That's a little bit scary that it is so easy to bring these chemicals out. Chris, what, what do you think about what's, what do you think is going to be the end game? Do you have any ideas of, of, of what we're looking at here with this nightmare? You know, it becomes a matter of just pure speculation. And right. you're, you're left with one of two options here. This was either just some of the most, in, a, in an administration that is filled with incompetence, this has to be one of the top incompetent things that's ever been done by this administration or overseen by it, or it's deliberate, and neither of those is a good option. Mm-hmm. Now, something that was chilling to me, and you and I talked about this, there are people that are talking about, I know Erin Brockovich's name's been brought mm-hmm. up because she is very famous in this whole thing. But if you try to make this some class action litigation, that is a horrible idea. And I heard somebody say this, and it just was chilling to me. And he said this. He, he said, this is along the lines of the people, the first responders who were injured from the chemicals in 9-11. And there needs to be a government fund put together to take care of what will be absolutely the inevitable fallout in the health of people for the decades to come. And don't do it as a class action because that money just goes to the lawyers. This needs to be a fund set up for those who will be uh, having to deal with this for decades. And when I heard that, I just thought that is terrifying to consider that this was done and this was their best solution that they came up with is basically to poke yeah. holes, let Ugh. it collect in pools, and then light it on fire. Yeah. Um, you just have to say that is, it's either such a, a, a nefarious thing that they did knowing that this would end up killing people for generation for a generation, or it's just such incredible incompetence mm-hmm. that nobody thought that this would be the fallout. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When you think about two now, there have been over 100 food plants that have uh, been destroyed, and, and there's just so many mysteries, quote-unquote mysteries, and we may never know the truth of all of this, but something uh, wicked is coming our way, and it could take this kind of form. It could be um, famine. I mean, we don't know what's around the bend, obviously, um, but we live in very unique times, very strange times. The church is still here for a reason, um, and uh, we just got to keep doing what we do uh, until the Lord calls us home because we're not there yet. So there's a lot to do, Chris. Uh, closing thoughts on encouragement for people in these difficult days? Yeah, and it's one that we should always keep in mind no matter what it is. The one thing is that you and I both know this because we've watched it over and over again. There are things that will make us raise our eyebrows and go, you've got to be kidding mm-hmm. Um, nothing should shock us or nothing should surprise us, but you still are shocked sometimes when you see it come to pass. Mm-hmm. Just remember God is never in that mm-hmm. place of going, wow, I didn't see that come. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So if that's the case, then we are always at the same time having to, to remind ourselves nothing happens without his notice. Yeah. 
And if it ha- if, if it cannot happen without his notice, he doesn't. That, that means he also has a contingency mm-hmm. in mind for his people. And yeah, so that doesn't God. mean that we might not have to go through horrible things. Yeah. People that are believers in him go through horrible things every day. Yeah, but yeah. ultimately, he's never taken by surprise, so we should not be in a place of panic. Right, he's in right. control. Thank you, Chris, so much for being our guest today. OldPathTheology.net. Um, next week, uh, coming up on Stand Up, David's back on Monday with headlines. 